0: Alright, well good morning. It's so good to be here with all of you today and it's a, it's really a privilege to come and to worship God with you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have the privilege of preaching this morning. Uh, I've been really grateful for um, Brian and Keith preaching over the past several weeks and kind of kicking this Malachi series off for us. And I think they've done a great job of of just taking us to God's Word and showing us what he's been communicating through the prophet Malachi. And so uh, it's a privilege to uh, to pastor in a church where um, where people are uh, exploring their gifts and, and using the talents they've been given uh, to glorify God. And we want to help and equip all of you guys to do that, to, to use everything that you've been given uh, to bring glory to God's name. I'm going to talk today about something that that I know that you're passionate about because everybody is passionate about it. It's something that, that is a passion of the human heart. All of humanity uh, has a passion uh, for this thing. And this thing is justice, Right? Whether you, would, whether you would acknowledge it off the bat or whether you would think about it that way, you are passionate about justice. And the way that you can tell that is because when something unjust happens in your life, your blood begins to boil, right? You see something happen that's not fair or not right. Maybe you're on the highway and somebody is like riding right on your tail and they're, they're doing dangerous moves and you're like, that's, where, where's the police? Where is somebody to, to track this person down, right? Or, or this week, the Olympics just started, right? And so uh, if you are consistently watching, I guarantee you by about Wednesday or Thursday, you are going to be passionate about some sport that you never watch <laughs> and some athlete from some country you've never even heard of, but some judge is going to give them a mark that was unfair, and all of a sudden you are the gymnastics expert. And you're like, that was a small step. That's a half a point of deduction at the most. What? What? Right? And we get so fired up when we think something is not fair or not right. We're driven by justice. We want what is just in our life. And so, so we have a unique challenge uh, in a world that's, that's full of injustice, right? I know we've got a lot of the kids with us here uh, this morning. Kids, is there anything that's more frustrating than when something unjust or unfair happens? If you're in school and you're waiting in the long lunch line and some kid just runs right up to the front and goes and grabs a tray, isn't that, doesn't that make you so angry? If you were waiting your turn, uh, you know, to use whatever, the tetherball. Do they still do tetherball at school? Is that still something? I don't know. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? What's that? Soccer. Okay. Emma says it's soccer now. It's not tetherball anymore. That's cool. Uh, (laughs) Too many tetherball injuries of, like, uh, fingers getting wrapped up in the string, right? But when something unjust happens, whether we're young or we're old you know, if you have two kids and you give one of them something a little bit better than the other one, when we go to McDonald's, I'm always like, please, just give us all the same Happy Meal toys. I don't want, right? Because otherwise, it's, it's injustice on display. And so, so justice is something that that's really grabs our hearts. And, and in a more serious light, those are some lighthearted things, but in a more serious note, in, in, in the news, uh, pretty much for all of time, but, but recently, there's been a lot of issues of injustice that we've been grappling with as a nation as a country, and we see it on the news every night as, as we're going through, and there's, there's these issues of, of injustice, of, of people who are being wrongly uh, killed in traffic stops, that, of, of police that are, that are being killed for just doing their job, right? It's, it's unjust, and it makes us angry, and we don't know what to do about it. I was reading an article uh, this, this past week while we we're on vacation, and uh, without even realizing it, I'm there just like shaking my head and after a while, Trina's like, what are you shaking your head at? And I was like, oh, I was just reading this article. And it's just like heartbreaking because it was it was documenting um, uh, a number of, there's been, there's been nine cases where African-American women were were killed by police this year. And they documented each case and what it looked like and what had happened in each of those situations. And, and you can't blanket all of them, but each individual one was heartbreaking for one reason or another. There was, there was, a, there was a story where somebody wasn't really doing anything that was worthy of any sort of anything, but it just escalated and escalated. There was times when the police seemed to have no justification for what they did. There was other times where people uh, were, were not listening to what they were being told to do, and, the, and, they, and they pushed and provoked it, and they brought innocent people in. And, and I'm just looking at it, I'm just like, man, it's, it's just so broken right? Like, the situation is heartbreaking, and there's injustice here, but, but if somebody came to me and said, Ezra, fix this, I'd be like, man, I, I'm not even really sure where to start. There's so much injustice and layers of, of things that are broken, but it, but it breaks my heart to see the injustice that's going on. And so we have protesters, like, walking in the streets, and they're, and they're saying, no justice, no what? No peace, right? No justice, no peace. And it's true, there's no peace outside of justice. If the, if the world is not just, if the world is not right, there is no peace. But we live in a world where there is injustice. And therefore, we live in a world that is not full of peace. And we're in a political season where we'll be told that if we just get the right policies in place and we just enact the right things, that, that that's going to solve the problem. That's going to restore order and peace and justice. But we know that injustice is a result of our sin. It's a result of our rebellion against God. And until we're repentant, until we turn and seek His face and come to Him, that there is no peace that we can experience in this lifetime. And so, so the passage we're going to look at in Malachi today is about justice. And I think it's timely and it's, it's helpful and it's going to provoke some thought for us to say, hey, as followers of Jesus Christ, or as people who are exploring the teachings of Jesus, what, what does it mean uh, to pursue justice? What does justice look like? What should our expectations be? about justice let's let's pray and ask god uh, to speak to our hearts today father we uh we desire justice you you implanted it in us i i firmly believe it's part of being created in the image of god that that we desire justice because you're a just and holy god and yet our world is unjust and um and we can blame shift and we can and we can find all excuses but god i pray that today as we come to your word that we would have a picture of what you have to say about justice and we would leave with a perspective about justice and a calling uh, to pursue justice in your way. Uh, to see uh, what is just, uh, what belongs in your kingdom, uh, to, to, to fill up our hearts and to overflow into the world around us, God. So speak to us clearly. Help us to see clearly what it is that you would desire to show us in your word today. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, if you turn to, to Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament right before the, the Gospels. Uh, as, as the, the guys have done a great job, Brian and Keith have done a great job setting it up. This is 400 years uh, before Jesus comes, and it, and it institutes, it's kind of the final word, before 400 years of silence, where God doesn't speak through the prophets to his people in the same kind of way. And so we're coming down to the end of chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 17 is where we're going to begin in the text today. So chapter 2, verse 17 says this, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words as you remember, this series is called Conversation with God, right? So, so there's this conversation going back and forth where God points things out to them and like, hey, I don't know what you're talking to me, and God explains himself. And so, uh, so the prophet says, hey, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Well, it's by saying that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? And so begin with this fascinating idea that it, that it says that God is wearied. And I looked through a, a bunch of different translations, and every single translation translated that word is wearied. Now, now we know that God is the creator of the universe. He's completely different than his creatures. We're his creation, his creatures, and there's things that apply to us that don't apply to him. He's completely distinct and other and different. Um, and so to use the word weary of the creator of the universe who never sleeps or slumbers, who never gets tired, who never—, who never who never grows weary, but it says that we weary him. So it's not in the sense of a physical tiredness, but it's 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 a testing of his patience. It's a it's a hey, I've told you what, and you just continue to harden your heart against it, and it's it's burdensome. You know, as a parent, uh, there's times where my kids can weary me, right? And uh, and it's not through normal kid stuff. Most of the time, what it is, it's this game we play at dinner time called "Dad, you name things, and we'll tell you we don't want it." right? So so if they were to come to me and say, hey, dad, we want mac and cheese, I can make that happen, right? If they say, hey, I want pizza, I can, I can make that happen, right? But but if I say, hey, uh, what do you guys want? Do you want pizza? No. Do you want mac and cheese? No. Do you want fish? No. Do you want tacos? Ew, gross. Do you want spaghetti? Do you want cereal? Do you want And it's just no, 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 right? And uh, after a while, I'm like, I'm tired of listening. I, don't, I can't even think of anything else. How about you guys tell me what you want? I'm weary, right? I just I, I just want you to tell me what you want. And there's this sense of just being Worn out. Do people wear you out ever? (laughs) You guys guys ever experienced this, right? You just and God is saying, Man, you're wearying me with this. Now, what why is it that what they're saying, why is this particularly wearying to the Lord? Well, from a big picture perspective, they're not talking to him, they're talking about him, right? We can pretty much say anything to God in prayer. If you're frustrated, you can go to God and say, God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm angry. God, I'm disappointed. God, I don't understand this. God, I don't feel loved right now. He's okay. You can say all those things to him in prayer. He wants you. He already knows what you're feeling, so you can vocalize that to him. But the problem is when you say, well, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess, I guess God loves those wicked people because they get everything and I get nothing, right? I guess, I guess God's not paying attention. I guess, right? Talking about God instead of talking to God, it's a big difference. And there's two specific things that really um, kind of attack the character of God. So the first answer, they look around the world, they see injustice, they see that things aren't the, the way they're supposed to be, and the first thing that they say is that God delights in the evil and the wicked. They look at the scenario and they say, I see wicked people, I see wicked nations around us prospering, they're ruling, uh, they have plenty of food to eat, uh, they're, they have prosperity, they have, they have all these things that we don't have, they look happy, and so God must be blessing them. God must be uh, delighting in what they're doing, and, and He's turned His back on us. And God said, "No, that's not my character." All throughout His Word, uh, in, in Psalm five, it says in Psalm five it says that God is not a God who delights in wickedness. The whole law that He laid out uh, in, in Exodus and Leviticus and and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, he, He's showing people this is a picture of my heart. I am holy. I love wickedness. I detest sin and evil. And so it's an attack on God's very character and his very nature to say, well, I guess God just delights in the wicked. And really what they're doing is they're looking at a snapshot. And we do this all the time, right? We look at people around us. And we're like, wow, that person has a really nice car, and they, they dress nice, and they seem to have a lot of leisure time, and they don't seem stressed out, and, and they have uh, they have a beautiful wife and family or a beautiful spouse, and they have, the, and uh, we look at vacation pictures on Facebook, and we're like, oh, it must be nice, I guess, you know, right? And we see a little snapshot of somebody's life, and we make a judgment and say, oh, wow, they're really blessed by God, right? But we don't know the whole picture. Our lives are a story. It's a journey. It's a, our, our lives are encompassed uh, not by what we do in one moment, but but what we do in the totality of all that we are. And so, yeah, in one moment, it might look enviable. It might look desirable. um, But if that person continues and they end their life apart from the forgiveness and the salvation that's offered in Jesus Christ, then it was all for nothing. And all those, those good things that they had might have just been a distraction that kept them from seeing the true thing that they really needed. As followers of Jesus, if you're here and you follow Jesus, You've received the greatest gift you could ever, ever receive. And there is no way that you can look at someone who doesn't have that and envy them if you view it in proper perspective. But the problem is we're living in a world that gears us towards comparison, competition. A bunch of athletes go, right? You get the gold. You get the silver. You get the bronze. You get nothing, right? It's it's comparative. Everything in our culture and our society is geared towards comparison. So we've got to make sure that we're comparing on the right measure. If I look at somebody and say, yeah, they have more money in their bank account. They must be more blessed than me. Well, that's not true. You guys know that, right? If I look at somebody that has things that I want, that doesn't mean that they're more blessed. And and if they're separated from the love of Christ, then they're actually in desperately in need of something that I already have and that I can give to them. And so having that kind of perspective uh, shows us that their the first accusation that God delights in the wicked is just, just completely wrong. The second answer that they come up with is they say, well, where is the God of justice? Essentially, God's not here. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's an absentee landlord. He's not, he's not fulfilling his, his, his duties. And so either he's uh, not paying attention, or he doesn't care, or he's powerless to do anything. All of which we know from Scripture are wrong all of which we know from, from the experience of, of what we've seen uh, in our lives and, and in his word. We know that those things are not true. We know that God is not absent, that he sees everything, and that he has the power uh, to interact. And so if he's not interacting in a situation uh, that you would love for him to intervene in, we've got to come and not say, God, I guess, you're, I guess you're not paying attention. I guess you're missing it. But to come and say, God, I don't understand this, but I've got to trust that you've got something else going on because your ways are higher than my ways, and and you're more mighty, and your plans are greater than my plans. And so if there's something that I don't understand, if I see injustice, and and you're not intervening to stop it, then you must have a reason and purpose for that. Or maybe you're showing this to me because you want me to be your hands and feet into this situation, and you want me to step in and to do something about this. And so the people of Israel— weary God with these two wrong understandings of who he is. And then he comes in in chapter three and he says, now let me explain to you what the God of justice is really all about. So those are the wrong perspectives. And let me ask you guys, do you ever adopt those perspectives? The people of Israel, if we always compare ourselves to be like, yeah, God, that's that's the one I have, his perspective, right? Uh, we miss an opportunity to learn and to grow. The reality is, is that most of us adopt these, whether uh, outward, vocally, or just in our hearts. We'll look at somebody who has something that we don't want and be like, what? That guy's a a pagan. He's a sinner. He wants nothing to do with God, but yet look at that Lamborghini he's driving. That's not fair, right? Our hearts hearts turn sometimes in that. So let's look at God's perspective. Here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So we're going to look at three things that God says in his response to them. The first thing that he says clearly is, hey, you've asked where is the God of justice? Let me tell you, I'm coming. The God of justice is coming to set things right. He will come. And we know at that point he was saying he will come, but we know from our perspective in history that he has come in the person of Jesus Christ. When we look at this, we clearly see, uh, he says, I will send my messenger before me, and Jesus said, John the Baptist. He's the one that the prophet said would come before. We see this clear picture of, of the role of John the Baptist and the role of Jesus, and he says, I will come, and I will send my messenger before me to prepare the way. And so when we open up the Gospels and we see John the Baptist, we're like, oh, wow, this is that last book, Malachi. This is what it was talking about. It's here. It's happening. God, we have wanted him to come. We have wanted the God of justice to arrive, and now he's here. He's on the scene. And so he wants us to know that God will come, but it says suddenly. He'll come suddenly into the temple, not in the time we're expecting, right? He will come in his time and in his way. It says in Scripture that, that he unfolded the plan of the gospel at the exact right time. It was a mystery that angels longed to look into, and at the perfect time, he sent Christ into the world to deal with injustice. So the first thing, if we think that God is absent, the fact that Jesus came proves to us that he's not. The fact that Jesus came proves to us that he is here with us. He's abiding with us. He is in this world of injustice with us. Let's look at the next thing that he says in chapter or in chapter two, verse two or chapter 3, verse 2. He says this. He says, you want Jesus to come. You want the Savior to come. But listen, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. No one will be able to stand on that day. The second thing he addresses to them here, he says, hey, you say I delight in the wicked? No, I don't delight in the wicked at all. In fact, On the day when I come to bring justice, not only should the wicked be quaking, but you who think that you're righteous and are calling for me to come, you're not going to be able to stand on that day either. That no one will be able to stand in the presence of the holiness of the Lord. And so for us, as we think about this, as we shake our fist at injustice, say, God, what's so wrong? What's so broken with the world? He's saying, hey, one of the things you need to do is look into your own heart, right? I got to say, what's wrong with me? Why am I unjust? Why don't I do the things I'm supposed to do? And why do I do the things that I'm not supposed to do? But here's the good news that he says. He says, hey, no one will be able to stand before me, but I'm sending uh, my messenger to purify you. I'm going to make you pure so that you can bring a right sacrifice and your sacrifice will be acceptable to me. We used to sing a song, uh, you know, purify my heart. You know, and, and, and it's kind of a happy little melody, and um, it's called Refiner's Fire. Um, but the process of refining is not pleasant, right? When they refine metal, they boil it down to a liquid state, and then all the impurities rise to the top, and they scrape them off, right? Or he talks about fuller soap, like getting in there and digging it out. My kids, Don't like They like taking baths, but they don't like it when I'm the one doing it, right? (laughs) They like to give themselves baths, but if I get up there and start scrubbing their hair and stuff, they're like, Dad, it's too much, right? But I want them to be clean. God wants us to be clean. And so in the process, he needs to scrape away the dirt. He needs to, to boil us, melt us down at times so that the impurities can rise and he can scrape them away. And so part of the reason that we experience trials and difficulties and struggles in our life is because God is purifying us. None of us enjoys going through it, but if we look at somebody and we always envy the person who has a life of apparent leisure and ease and luxury, that's not what the purifying process looks like, right? And so if God has blessed you in a season of, uh, of good things and blessings, awesome. Praise God. Thank him for it. If he's put you in a season of trial and, and struggle and difficulty, Thank him that he's purifying you. Allow him to do the purifying work. Cooperate with him in the purification so that it can happen in the way that it needs to. Don't fight against it. He sends the purifier. I love in, uh, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, uh, Aslan represents Christ. He's a lion. And, uh, and they start to get this, this, this image of him as this, uh, this friendly beast, right? But when they come face to face with him, they're terrified. And, uh, and one of the characters says, hey, he's not a tame lion, right? <laughs> he's our lion. He's, he's, we're on his side. He's good, but he's not tame, right? God isn't our, our homeboy. He's not our friend. He's not a sleepy old grandpa up in the sky that, that just wants to pat us on the head, right? That, that he is the holy creator of the universe. And he says, when, when, when I send my messenger, no one will be able to stand before him. It used to be a compliment to call somebody a God-fearing person. Yeah, that's a God-fearing man. That's a God-fearing woman, right? We don't say that anymore (laughs) because it's not politically correct in our culture to think about fearing the Lord. But listen to what he says in the next part of the passage. In verse 6, he says this, In this you rejoice. Oh, no, sorry, wrong spot. (laughs) Verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and those who do not fear me, says the Lord of the hosts. He says, hey, I'm coming to judge this wickedness, and the root of all this wickedness is a lack of fear for the Lord. If we don't honor and respect, if we don't have an awe for the Lord, then we have a low view of sin. We don't think sin's a very big deal. We think, eh, you know, it's just, it's just a little bit of sin. God knew I was going to do it anyways. That's why he sent Jesus to take care of it. It's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But when we have a holy and reverential fear for God, we want nothing to do with sin. Because we know that when we stand before him, all those impurities are coming to the surface, right? <laughs> We're going to see all the blemishes. And when we love him in a way that, that, is, that is respectful, it positions us to stand before him. Now we recognize we're not going to be pure in this lifetime, right? This whole life is a process of purifying, and we're not going to arrive there until we stand before him. And that's why it's so wonderful and awesome that he sent Jesus to come in our place. He's the one when, when the refiner, the way he knows it's done, when he's purifying the metal is when he can see his reflection in the metal. And Jesus was the only one who came, and he was the perfect reflection of God. He lived perfectly. And he cared so much about justice that he didn't say, oh, you know, hey, I'm sorry that happened to you, whatever. Let's just forgive and forget. Let's just move on. He said, no, I care so deeply about injustice that I'm going to come and I'm going to take it upon myself. All the injustice in the world, the the tragedies, the, the hurts that have been done to you, Jesus has taken upon himself at the cross because he cares deeply about justice. As much as we care about it, he cares about it so much more. So he came and he entered in and he took it upon himself. And when he comes again, he will come as a judge. And all will stand before him to account for the works that they've done. And so as we process this, the question is, what do we do with this? Okay, so God's perspective is different. The uh, the Israelites and sometimes us, we say, well, God's, God's not paying attention. God's missing or God delights in the wicked. And God says, no, I'm not any of those things. I'm coming in my time and I will judge And I won't need to call in character witnesses or ballistics experts. I will be the witness myself because I see all and I know all. And I will judge swiftly those who are separated from me. What do we do in the meantime? Well, the first thing I would say is that we need to have hope. Regardless of who wins this presidential election, regardless of the news events that unfold over the next couple weeks or months or years, regardless of what wars spring up or, or tragic events take place, what, what regardless of whatever personal challenges we go through, the righteous creator of the universe is seated on the throne and he has promised that he will judge justly. And we can put our hope in that. And someone can be cruel to you your entire life and you may never see justice in this life, but you know that when they stand before the Lord, they'll be accountable for what they've done. And you see, that's where... Apart from the cross, apart from Jesus, apart from a loving, created God who, who loves us and, and engages with us, what purpose or hope is there in the world? If this is just a cosmic accident, if, if particles collided in the right way to have life spring up, then whoever ultimately holds anyone accountable? What hope do we have in ultimate justice? Right? If we just die and that's it, there is no justice. But because of the Bible, we can put our hope in an ultimate justice. And so even if we don't see justice unfolding as quickly or as completely as we would desire, our hope is set into the future that there is an ultimate judge who sees all and will judge justly. And so that would, that should let us sleep at night, right? We should be able to lay down and say, God, I don't understand everything that's going on, but I trust that ultimately you will make all things right. But tied to that, I would say, don't allow that to make you adopt a sort of Christian apathy where you say, well, God's got it. I I don't know what to do with it. I just throw my hands up. I'm just going to do my thing, right? No. If we're being refined and purified into his image, then we're going to care for the things that he cares for. Where we see sorcery and adultery and, and lying and oppression of the weak going on around us, that we have to step up. We have to be involved. We have to engage. We have to be his hands and feet in the world. We have to pray, God, I see this injustice. What do you want me to do about it? What are you calling me to do about the injustice that I see In the world. God, how can your kingdom come in my life and in the community around me through the things that you want to do through me? I can't do it in my own power and my own strength, but through the Holy Spirit living in me, I can pursue justice in the name of the Lord. So we have hope, we pursue justice, we identify the areas in our heart. When we stand before the Lord, what are the things that we'll be ashamed of? What is it that when we stand before Him will cause us to fall back? Ask him to remove those things from your heart and from your life. If you've got sin that's grabbed a hold of you, pray and look to the Lord and and seek help, seek counsel, seek accountability, seek discipleship, seek his word. But don't don't, don't live in peace with your sin. (laughs) Fight against it through the power of the Holy Spirit so so that God can purify you and use you. And the final thing I would say is this. Don't talk about God. Talk to him. Come to him in prayer. Seek his face. And it's okay to be really honest with him and say, God, I don't understand this. This frustrates me. This disappoints me. This angers me. But I know that you have greater purposes, and I know that you want to do something. And God, if you're calling me to take action, show me what it is. And God, if if I just need to pray for you to do your thing, I'll do that, right? But, But don't talk about God. Don't question his character. Talk to him in prayer. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going going to close, and I I want to close by reading to you the words of of Psalm 73. I think we looked at the Psalms as an incredible place to look at at people who were wrestling with the injustice and the challenges they saw in the world around them, but always taking it to the throne of their God and saying, God, I don't understand this world. I'm frustrated, but, but I know that you reign. And listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 73. It says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands. In innocence for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning." It's, it's blunt, right? This is not a, you know, the the knock on Christians is that they they wear rose-colored glasses and they're just like, oh, praise the Lord, everything's good, right? That's not the picture that we see. This is a real vibrant faith that says, God, this world is broken. Things are messed up. Our sin has caused chaos. And I don't understand it because it seems like the wicked are doing really well and your people are really struggling. But listen to how it turns. He says, if I had said I will speak thus, if I had said those things, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. But you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near god i've made the lord god my refuge that i may tell of all of your works we serve a god of justice and we should praise him for that we should be a little bit fearful of that because we're an unjust people when we were driving driving home from our vacation we were going up 95 there was a terrible accident somewhere up ahead. it was going to be like an hour and a half delay and so we went through these back back roads through south carolina I'm going through this small town and uh and a state trooper is coming the other way and as soon as he passes me he flips around and starts following me and i was like oh man so i pull over he turns his lights on i pull over he comes up and he says hey speed limit here is 30 you're going 42. i was like okay and i had pretty much accepted my heart like i knew i was speeding right so he's like i need your license registration i get him hand him to him he says hey i'm gonna give you a warning (laughs) slow down next time you come through here it's like thank you so much right our hearts crave justice but I didn't say to him in that moment, You are unjust. <laughs> I deserve punishment. <laughs> right? I received mercy in that moment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. While God is just, he's also merciful. And the two came together on the cross that the God of justice could also be the God of mercy. And while we deserve punishment, Jesus offers us mercy. And we should praise him for both praise him for his justice praise him for his mercy. Let's pray.